You are listening to the Audio Information Network of Colorado. This recording is intended to be used solely by individuals with barriers to print. AINC programming is brought to you in part by Weissman Family Dental in Boulder, Colorado. For over 25 years, Weissman Family Dental has been providing high-quality dentistry. They offer regular checkups, emergency care, and a wide range of specialty services. They also have staff that speak Spanish. If you are looking for a new dentist, find them at WeissmanFamilyDental.com or call them at 303-494-0101 and tell them Audio Information Network of Colorado sent you. Thank you for joining us for the Thursday, March 16, 2023 reading of the Boulder Weekly. My name is Eric Levine. The Foilies, 2023, Recognizing the Worst in Government Transparency by Electronic Frontier Foundation and Muckrock News, March 16, 2023. These days, it seems everyone is finding classified documents in places they shouldn't be, homes, offices, storage lockers, garages, guitar cases, between the cracks of couches, under some withered celery in the vegetable drawer. Okay, we're exaggerating, but it is getting ridiculous. While pundits speculate whether President Donald Trump, Vice President Mike Pence, and President Joe Biden put national security at risk by hoarding secrets, that ultimately might not be the biggest problem. What we know for sure is that these episodes illustrate overlapping problems for government transparency. It reveals an epidemic of over-aggressive classification of documents that could easily be made public. It means that an untold number of documents that belong to the public went missing, even though we may not get to see them for at least 25 years when the law requires a mandatory declassification review. And then there's the big, troubling transparency question. If these officials pocketed national secrets, what other troves of non-secret but nevertheless important documents did they hold on to, potentially frustrating the public's ability to ever see them? It doesn't do much good to file a Freedom of Information Act request for records that have disappeared. Misbehavior like this is why we created the FOILIES, our annual tongue-in-cheek awards for agencies and officials that thwart the public, public's right to government information or otherwise respond outrageously to requests for documents and records. Each year, the Electronic Frontier Foundation and Muckrock News, in partnership with the Association of Alternative News Media, Publish this list of ne'er-do-wells to celebrate Sunshine Week, March 12th through 18, an annual event to raise the profile of the democratic concept of government transparency. It may be many years before the public learns what secret and not-so-secret documents were not turned over by past administrations to the National Archives, but when we do, we'll be sure to nominate them for the top prizes. In the meantime, we have no shortage of redaction rascals and right-to-know knaves from agencies assessing astronomical fees to obtain documents, 
to officials who overtly obstruct openness to protect corporate interests. Read on and get to know the 2023 who's who of government opacity. I'm not your stepping stone to transparency award, Federal Bureau of Investigation. We are all lucky that the FBI is always on the lookout for, quote, left-wing innovations of a political nature, unquote, especially those nasty, quote, subliminal messages, unquote. That's why in 1967, it sent an informant to a monkeys concert to report on the band's anti-war sentiment. Mickey Dolenz, the band's sole surviving member, is suing for that file under FOIA. As his complaint points out, the FBI spied on many musicians of that era, including Jimi Hendrix and John Lennon. Dolenz sued after the FBI failed to produce the file beyond the heavily redacted portion that it already published online. The FBI has since provided five more redacted pages, Dolan's attorneys tell us. Hopefully, this will shed more light on the FBI's heroic war against the Beatles, Monkees, and other subversive members of the animal kingdom. The Redactions Don't Gitmo Surreal Award, the U.S. Southern Command. The U.S. facility at Guantanamo Bay regularly serves up both insults and injuries. A number of people still held there have been subjected to torture and other inhumane treatment at U.S. quote, black sites, unquote. Many are imprisoned indefinitely, and the Pentagon considers detainees' artwork to be property of the U.S. government. The whole thing is a bit surreal, but U.S. Southern Command, Southcom, has more techniques for turning up the dial. Bloomberg reporter Jason Leopold submitted a, a FOIA request in 2017 for artwork created by those detained at Guantanamo Bay. Southcom finally fulfilled the request last spring, and it took its own creative liberties with the release. To the hundreds of pages of colorful paintings and drawings created by Gitmo prisoners, the military added hundreds of little white redactions. FOIA <coughs> requires redactions to be very particular and to specifically cite applicable exemptions. It seems there were plenty of very particular elements with, with, with which the agency took issue, claiming that amid trees of leaves and other scenes were materials that were ineligible for release due to personal privacy concerns and the risk that they would betray law enforcement techniques. When prisoners' art could potentially disclose military secrets, we're well through the looking glass. Quote, Gitmo, after 20 plus years, is not only a black box of secrecy, unquote, Leopold said, quote, but it has its own Orwellian rules when it comes to transparency, unquote. We can neither deny nor deny, excuse me, we can neither confirm nor deny the existence of this award, National Security Agency. Sometimes agencies will respond to your FOIA request with a stack of documents. 
Other times they will reject the request out of hand. But some agencies choose a third route. They tell you they can neither confirm nor deny whether the information exists because the subject matter is classified or because a positive or negative response would expose the agency's hand in whatever intelligence or investigation game they're playing. <laughs> this so-called, quote, Glomar response, unquote, is derived from a Cold War era case when the CIA refused to confirm or deny to the Los Angeles Times whether it had information about the USNS Hughes Glomar Explorer, a CIA ship that was used to try to salvage a sunken Soviet sub. The Reporters, Commit, quote, the Reporters Committee for Freedom of the Press is studying the prevalence of so-called Glomar responses to FOIA requests across the federal government, unquote. RF, RCFP Senior Staff Attorney Adam Marshall told us, quote, as part of that project, it has submitted FOIA requests, what else, to every federal agency regarding their Glomar volume over a five-year period, unquote. So far, RCFP has learned that the U.S. Commodity Futures Trading Commission sent four Glomars, the U.S. Department of Energy Office of the Inspector General sent 14, and the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services Office to the, of the Inspector General sent 102. The NSA came back with an astounding 2,721 Glover, Glomar responses over the five-year period. As Marshall noted on Twitter, in fiscal year 2021 alone, Glomars accounted for at least 41% of all the FOIA requests the NSA processed. We honor the NSA for being so transparent about its lack of transparency. The Leave No Coffee Mug Unturned Award, General Escobedo, Mexico. When an agency receives a records request, an official is supposed to conduct a thorough search not poke around half-heartedly before generating a boilerplate rejection letter. What's rare is for an agency to send a photo essay documenting their fruitless hunt for records. That's exactly how the city of General Escobedo in Nuevo Leon, Mexico, responded to a public records request that the EFF filed for documents related to a predictive policing law under Mexico's national transparency law. The, quote, inexistencia de información, unquote, letter they sent included a moment-by-moment -moment photo series of their journey, proving they looked really hard but couldn't find any records. First, the photos showed they were outside the city's security secretariat building. Then they were standing at the door to the police investigative analysis unit. Then they were sitting at a computer looking at files with a few screen grabs. Then they were looking in a filing cabinet. The next photo almost caused us to do a spit take. They were looking in the drawer where they kept their coffee mugs, just in case there was a printout jammed between the tea bags and the stevia. See, they looked everywhere. 
except those screen grabs on the computer they breezed past were exactly the kind of documents we wanted. EFF appealed the case before the state's transparency board, which eventually forced Escobedo to release a slideshow and receipts showing the city had wasted more than 4 million pesos on the Sistema de Predicción de Delitos, S-P-R-E-D, project. The Wishy-Washy Access Award, Alphabet and the Dalles, Oregon. The Western United States has been caught in a 20-year mega drought, but when the Oregonian slash Oregonian Live sought records on water usage from the city of the Dalles, the news organization found itself on the wrong side of a lawsuit. The city claimed the data was a trade secret and filed suit on behalf of Google parent company Alphabet to block the release of records. Alphabet, like other major tech companies, has increasingly invested in massive data centers that slurp up vast quantities of water to cool off their hardware. How much water, however, was a mystery and one of pressing concern for locals. One resident told the Associated Press she had seen her water well continue to drop year after year. Quote, at the end of the day, if there's not enough water, who's going to win? Unquote, she asked. After a 13-month fight, there was something to savor. The city dropped its fight. Alphabet even tried to spin it as a PR win and declared itself a champion of transparency. Quote, it is one example of the importance of transparency which we are aiming to increase, which include site-level water usage numbers for all our U.S. data center sites, including the Dalles, unquote, a spokesman said at the time. The data was worth fighting for. The data center's water usage had tripled in the past five years to where it consumes more than a quarter of all water used in the city, according to analysis from Mike Rogoway at the Oregonian slash Oregon Live. The Outrageous FOIA Fee of the Year Award, Rochester Community Schools District. This year's winner for most ludicrous fee assessment takes us to a suburb north of Detroit where parents were met with a hefty price tag for trying to find out whether the school district was spying on them. As reported by WXYZ, the parents were part of a Facebook group where they discussed their dissatisfaction with the district's approach to remote learning. After a local parent sued the district, claiming she was fired because a district official had complained to her employer about her criticism, of the district's COVID-19 policies, these parents began filing public records requests to see if the district was monitoring their social media. When one parent asked for records to know whether their name was included in any social media monitoring, the district said that to comply with the request, staff would have to search every email ever sent by an employee a total of 12,115,251 emails. The district told the parent to be prepared to be liable for a whopping 
$18,641,345 fee with $9,320,673.73 due in advance. That's a lot of bake sales. The FOILIES were compiled by the Electronic Frontier Foundation, Director of Investigations Dave Mass, Senior Staff Attorney Aaron Mackey, Frank Stanton Fellow Mukund Rati, Investigative Researcher Beryl Lipton, and Muckrock, Co-Founder Michael Morrissey, Data Reporter Dylan Bergen, and Investigations Editor Derek Kravitz with further review and editing by Sean Musgrave. Illustrations are by EFF designer Caitlin Kreitz. The FOILIES are published in partnership with the Association of Alternative News Media. Cleaning the stream. The rules around composting have changed for the whole front range. Here's what that means. By Will Matuska, March 16, 2023. Steve Clemish winds through Longmont streets looking for the containers with a green lid. He knows exactly where he's going without a map. He's driven around the city collecting waste for 15 years. His truck, only three years old, already has 38,000 miles on it. Clemish sits in a clean cab with a small American flag on the dash. A trio of little tree air fresheners and a dream catcher hang from a ceiling-mounted radio. Quote, I take such pride in my truck, unquote, Clemish says, describing how he climbs a stepladder to hand scrub the white exterior with an old t-shirt. Cleaning is a theme in Clemish's life. Clemish has collected both recycling and trash for the city, but jumped on the chance to be part of Longmont's residential composting program when it launched six years ago. He's now the city's lead compost driver. Clemish likes his job, but he's worried about a new policy change from A1 Organics, the state's largest organic recycler. In late February, A1 Organics announced it will only accept food scraps, yard and plant trimmings, and three-gallon Compost Manufacturing Alliance, CMA, approved compostable bags used to collect food scraps. Starting April 1, the, the company will no longer take compostable packaging and cutlery, in addition to, quote, non-traditional compostables, unquote, like paper towels, napkins, shredded paper, or pizza boxes, all things that Clemish picks up regularly. Quote, now that we have to change, I don't know how this is going to work, unquote, he says. Quote, I just hope it doesn't get ugly, unquote. Marty Match, Deputy Director of Boulder-based recycling organization EcoCycle, says the new policy affects the entire front range. Quote, it's such a big change, unquote, Match says. Quote, and it has so many effects on so many different people, unquote, including haulers, municipalities, commercial businesses, and residents. A1 claims to divert more than 425,000 tons of waste yearly from Colorado landfills, producing compost, mulch, 
and other landscaping materials the public can purchase. In a press release, A1 wrote that the change was made because food scrap material coming in, 10% of total material A1 accepts, quote, is too contaminated with plastic, glass, and non-organic material to process effectively and meet the quality standards for finished compost, unquote. Reasons for the change in policy include, quote, certified, unquote, compostable items, think biodegradable plastic packaging, not composting fully or quickly enough, and contamination impacting resale quality, accepting, quote, packaging and service work, unquote, like single-use cutlery, also limits the company's ability to sell compost used to grow crops certified as USDA organic. Clinton Sander, marketing manager at A1, says the food scrap stream is, quote, most challenging, unquote, because there are many touch points where contamination can occur, from haulers not fully cleaning trucks to residents misunderstanding what can be composted. Other streams, like cannabis waste, he says, have more control measures in place. A1 started charging haulers contamination and reloading fees last August because of problems, Sander told Boulder Weekly last fall that the company saw up to 50% reduction of loads from some waste haulers after the fee implementation. Because A1 started getting more selective with the materials it would accept last year, Match says she wasn't surprised by the new policy, but she says EcoCycle is getting, quote, lots of feedback from people who are upset, unquote, about the policy change. Quote, we fully understand this is confusing for people, unquote, she says. Quote, People may perceive the policy change as a step backward, but it really isn't. It's a step forward, unquote. Sanders says there's high potential for creating quality compost and greenhouse gas avoidance from the food scraps stream. Quote, we have to collect food scraps to get these materials out of landfills, unquote, he says, where rotting organic material releases gases, including methane, that warm the climate. Quote, but not at the cost of contaminating the finished product, unquote. Communicating with residents. In Longmont, Clemish is collecting about 800 organic collection bins from residents in the southeast side of the city who opted into the composting program. Nearly 9,000 households total are participating. In 2022, Longmont says its curbside composting pickup program diverted 3,000 tons of organics from the landfill. Most of the material picked up through the program is yard waste, like grass clippings, but food scraps make it in, too. The city of Boulder, which mandates composting for property owners and businesses, diverted more than 11,000 tons of organics in 2020, according to the most recent reported data on its website. For the most part, Clemish says, quote, my residents behave. They compost the way they're supposed to, unquote. He knows the residents on his routes and their composting habits, whether they are reliable or not, 
He says, quote, Monday East, unquote, this day's route, usually doesn't have problems. Clemish pulls over and uses the truck's mechanical arm to collect an organics bin. Quote, these people, they're elderly. They've never pulled a stud, unquote, he says. Sometimes people will come out and ask Clemish questions, which has helped him both educate and build relationships with his residents. The following Wednesday, he'll see Jackie, a woman in her mid-90s, going through a third round of blood cancer. If he doesn't see the TV on and the blinds are drawn at the kitchen window, he goes to the door and checks on her. And there's Devin, an elementary-aged kid Clemish finds waiting outside every other Wednesday to hear his truck's impressive horn. The city is educating residents about the composting changes through a variety of means, including its website, newsletter, and an insert in monthly utility bills, says Charles Kamenides, Waste Service Manager at the City of Longmont. In addition, Kamenides says some of the education will come from, quote, the men and women who drive our compost collection vehicles, unquote, like Clemish. Clemish voiced concern about taking the brunt of residents' confusion following the policy change, but the few residents he's spoken to, nearly a dozen, have understood the changes. They mainly want to compost yard waste. Kamenides anticipates the composting program may lose some residents due to the restriction for compostable products, but assumes most customers will stay in the program. Growing Pains Verity Noble, owner of Nude Food Mark, Foods Market in Boulder, is taking a different approach to cleaning the compost stream by not offering compostable plastics and packaging in the first place. Noble opened the, quote, zero waste, unquote, grocery store in September 2021 with the goal of avoiding single-use compostable plastics like the ones A1 is no longer accepting. The market offers composting for any organic products purchased in the store, especially food that spoils. Noble estimates they compost at least two five-gallon buckets a day. Nearly everything in the market is packaged in glass jars packed on-site by staff. Customers pay a deposit fee per jar, then bring the jar back the next time they shop to be washed and reused. Quote, One of the biggest things that we need people to change is the way they consume if we're going to solve our waste problems, unquote, says Noble, who plans on opening five more stores across the Front Range by the end of 2027. By not including compostable packaging, Noble says she creates a more valuable compost, the kind A1 wants more of with its new policy. Jamie Harkins, Sustainability Senior Manager of Circular Economies at the City of Boulder, says the city is shifting to reusables at events like the Boulder Creek Festival to help meet the universal zero waste ordinance. Quote, switching to reusables saves natural resources, energy, and money, all while preventing waste in the first place, unquote, he says. Match at EcoCycle is working with stakeholders across the Front Range on the Colorado Clean Compost Campaign, 
an effort to provide consistent messaging guidelines and education materials for customers to limit confusion. She is hopeful that the policy change will create higher quality compost. Quote, this is just a growing pain that really pushes us toward a much more accessible, affordable, and effective way of collecting organic materials throughout the state, unquote, she says. Clemish says he doesn't want to see Longmont's program fail. When April 1 comes around, residents can trust Clemish will be working to keep the stream clean. Quote, I don't care how long or how far behind I get, unquote, he says. Quote, I will be popping lids, unquote. Cuisine. A dozen years of sandwiching. Curtis Park Deli opens a new outpost, outpost in Boulder by Colin Wren, March 16, 2023. When Curtis Park Deli first opened in the neighborhood that would become Rhino in Denver, the place was a food desert. There was, that was a big reason Michael Reif and his original business partner, Joe Walker, created the place. Inspired by Marchick Fine Foods, the duo opened what was formerly a fish shop as a high-end local grocery. There were already cases for meat and cheese and just enough space to stock goods the pair figured would be a nice addition to the area. They also started making sandwiches. Both Reef and Walker had spent a decent part of their grown lives working in restaurants. Reef largely focused on the front of house having previously worked at several of Denver's old haunts, including Alto, an Italian joint, and 12, Jeff Osaka's former fine dining establishment that brought the chef plenty of clout before he turned his attention to Osaka ramen and sushi rama. Quote, let's stop working for the man and do our own thing, unquote, the pair agreed. Walker, a New Zealand native who has since returned home, developed much of the menu that can still be found at all three Curtis Park Deli locations. Quote, he was the food guy, I was the stuff guy, unquote, says Reef. The menu is still a compact list of largely classic combinations. Quote, we're not trying to reinvent the wheel, we're just trying to do it correctly. Make sure it's very round, unquote, says Reef. Quote, there's a reason the Manhattan cocktail has never changed, unquote, he continues, noting that while the sandwiches may look simple on paper, they were carefully designed with balanced flavors in mind. Reef and Walker ran the original location by themselves for the first several years, and what started as 80% of sales being sandwiches didn't take long to become the entire business. By the time the second location opened, the grocery had become a full-fledged sandwich shop. Quote, good product and word of mouth made it a destination, unquote, Reef says. On March 3rd, Curtis Park Deli debuted its third location on the corner of 30th and Pearl in Boulder. Reef and his newer business partner, Dash Harrison, had been looking for another spot since before COVID. The duo had opened the second Cherry Creek Deli together in April 2018, hoping to tap into the neighborhood's sizable need for lunch catering. Quote, we already had brand recognition. 
People were waiting for us to open, unquote, Reef says. Even though Walker returned to New Zealand in 2015, the menu has been consistent under Reef and Harrison's direction. Quote, we made some evolutions in Cherry Creek and those followed us here, unquote, Reef says. When Reef bought out Walker, the split was amicable. In fact, Walker owns a couple of sister restaurants on the other side of the globe. Two locations of the Hokitika Sandwich Shop, which share the same horse-drawn carriage logo and many of the same Sandos as Curtis Street. Each morning, all three locations receive a shipment of loaves from Denver's City Bakery. There's a limited allotment, so when the bread runs out, the staff packs up for the day and heads home. Quote, it adds to the allure of fresh food. Fresh food is not infinite, unquote, says Reef, likening the concept to famous Texas barbecue spots. At the two Denver locations, the sandwiches often do sell out before closing time, and for good reason. Each of the nine available items is a powerfully good sandwich. Quote, people ordering don't need a cereal aisle of items, Reef says, unquote. It helps that the condiments, including aioli, pesto, mustard, and Thousand Island, are made fresh every day. The Boulder location is also the first of the three that Reef and Harrison designed from scratch, building out an ideal line for proper sandwich construction. As far as the sandwiches themselves, there's not a single wrong option. The American, with oven-roasted turkey, tomato, red onion, aioli, mixed greens, and smoked gouda, is a house favorite. The Curtis comes with corned beef, Swiss cheese, Thousand Island, and caraway-laced sauerkraut that was made to emulate rye bread. And for vegetarians and omnivores alike, there's the veggie with portobello mushroom, red pepper, zucchini, red onion, goat cheese, and pesto. While the hours are currently meant for lunch crowds, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. every day but Sunday, Reef says the team may extend the Boulder location's hours into the evening and even late night if the demand is there. And while street parking is non-existent, there is a free two-hour window in the REVE Apartments garage that connects to Curtis Park's back interior. Curtis Park has been slinging sandwiches for over a decade. It's about time Boulder diners can join in and delight in the gourmet. Opinion. The Anderson Files. Colorado Considers Deep Look at Universal Health Care by Dave Anderson, March 16, 2023. <clears throat> when it comes to health care, we are bombarded with misinformation and gaslighting. In 2019, the editors of more than two dozen scientific journals around the planet published an editorial to, quote, sound the alarm that human lives are at stake, unquote, because of medical misinformation. These physicians regularly encountered patients hesitant to take potentially life-saving medications based on something they read online or saw on TV or heard from their friends. Then the COVID pandemic happened and a tsunami of BS followed. The anti-vaccination movement, encouraged by the far right, and an idiotically irresponsible Trump administration gave us much needless sickness and death. There's also the profit motive 
profit-driven, bad-faith misinformation of the medical-industrial complex, which includes insurance companies, big pharma, hospitals, and medical device firms. Many years ago, former Congressman Jim McDermott, Democrat from Washington, said it was, quote, bigger than the military-industrial complex, unquote. It's the biggest obstacle to the U.S. instituting a national health care system like all the other developed countries. Paula Noonan tracks all the bills coming out of our state legislature on her website, Colorado Capital Watch. She told me she noticed legislators end up proposing good health care reforms that deal with lots of bits and pieces. In her column in Colorado Politics, she notes, quote, some issues never go away. We lack the will to fix them. The issues are too big and complicated and or legislators and the governor will only nibble at the edges rather than take the big bite. Healthcare in its various forms and impacts falls into each no-fix category." Unquote. She surveys several worthy healthcare bills of this kind and then notes the exception that, quote, may provide some clarity on resolving most health care coverage problems, unquote. That would be House Bill 1209, Analyze Statewide Publicly fund Financed Health Care. She concludes, quote, Nibbles at health care have produced a chaotic, indescribably complicated system that's left 300,000 Coloradans without health insurance. Undoubtedly, health care will always be on the state's legislative agenda, but so many bills to, quote, fix, unquote, a problem that everyone will use at some point probably means the system as is, is beyond repair, unquote. Noonan also lists the lobbyists interested in bills. Many lobbyists from the medical industrial complex and other business interests are opposing HB 1209. Mental Health Colorado and the Cross-Disability Coalition are among the supporters. Young Invincibles, YI, is another group supporting the bill. They're a national, nonpartisan nonprofit that works to uplift the voices of young adults 18 to 34 in the political process. Their name is an ironic comment on an insurance industry term for young people who feel they are immune to sickness and injury. They know they aren't invincible. YI is also concerned with higher education, economic security, mental health, and civic engagement issues. HB 1209 asks the Colorado School of Public Health to study the impacts of a universal health care system in Colorado to individual and community health and to the health care workforce. The bill was introduced by representatives Andrew Bosenecker, Fort Collins, and Karen McCormick, Longmont, in the House, and Senator Sonia Jaquez Lewis, Longmont, in the Senate. All are Democrats. I talked with Bosenecker over the phone as he drove home after lengthy Republican filibustering of bills over an exhausting couple of days. The Democrats have a solid majority in the legislature, but the Republicans are hoping to slow things down. Bosnecker, Bosnecker is a majority co-whip. Bosnecker is a musician and former public school music teacher. 
He is also a former Lutheran pastor. He was a chaplain at the North Colo Northern Colorado Medical Center in Greeley and saw people in the burn unit, intensive care, and pediatrics. He had, quote, countless conversations, unquote, with patients who were anxious about the cost of their health care and their ability to pay for essential procedures. Bosenecker said HB 1209 is an outgrowth of a 91-page study in 2021 by the Colorado School of Public Health, which concluded that a publicly financed and privately delivered system could provide health coverage to every resident, increase employment, and improve overall population health. At the same time, we would spend billions less than we are spending now on health care. Such a system is called single payer. The state legislature commissioned the study in 2019, which had a task force with bipartisan membership appointed by the governor and both parties' leadership. Healthcare should be a human right and a public good rather than a commodity. Many millions of people are driven into poverty each year because of healthcare costs. Time for big change. Boulder Gannick. Climate change is a health issue. Medical professionals reflect on COP27 and how a changing climate is damaging health by Will Matuska, November 23rd, 2022. When Dr. Jay Lemery gives presentations on climate and health, one of his slides has two pictures with an arrow between them, one with a polar bear and an iceberg, and another with a kid and an inhaler. Quote, this is the transition we're talking about, unquote, he says. Lemery, a professor of emergency medicine at the University of Colorado School of Medicine and co-founder of the university's climate and health program, sees the growing trend of climate change impacting human health. Lemery was part of a group from the University of Colorado climate and health program that brought this narrative to the global climate negotiations at COP27 in Sharm el-Sheikh, Egypt, from November 6th to 18. Quote, our role at COP27 was essentially to build connectivity and awareness of the health implications of climate change, unquote, says Lemery, who has attended COP once before. The group was not part of the official negotiations, but held side events throughout the conference to, quote, inform the negotiations, unquote. Climate and health has received increased attention at the Global Climate Summit. Last year, COP26 was the first time the World Health Organization, WHO, or WHO, hosted a WHO pavilion for daily health and climate programming. WHO predicts that between 2030 and 2050, climate change is expected to cause 250,000 additional deaths per year from malnutrition, malaria, and heat stress. The organization states that health shocks and stresses from climate change already push around 100 million people into poverty each year. Quote, climate change is a health issue first and foremost, unquote, says Dr. Bhargavi Chakuri, a physician who works at the University of Colorado 
as an assistant professor of family medicine and attended the conference. Health and climate change intersect in a variety of ways. Increasingly frequent extreme weather events, disruption of food systems, spread of diseases and mental health issues leading to illness and death. Climate change also interrupts social determinants of health like housing, livelihoods, and access to health care. These impacts are disproportionately felt by the most vulnerable and disadvantaged. Locally, Lemery points towards a projected increase in extreme weather events like wildfire and flooding in Boulder County that will destroy homes, degrade air quality, and impact health. If, quote, if nothing else, it just goes to show that we're all part of this world and there's really no safe place, unquote, he says. When Shakuri started her residency in New Hampshire in 2013, she saw the impacts of climate change in the exam room, patients with air quality related issues or drought related illnesses. Despite this, she felt like the impacts of climate change on health were never talked about in her medical training. Quote, it just felt like we weren't talking about the elephant in the room, which is a changing climate, unquote, she says. With COVID highlighting flaws in the public health system, Chikuri was further motivated to think about how to improve the system's capacity to respond to ongoing climate stressors. Quote, we just don't want to feel like we did during COVID. Again, completely unprepared, right? We want to feel like we are equipped and ready to handle what's coming our way with a changing climate in terms of dealing with the health outcome, unquote. Chakuri and Lemery are pushing for health to be recognized as an integral part of how we think about climate change. So it is included in all mitigation, adaptation and resilience strategies. Both speak of feeling momentum building behind climate's impact on health at the global stage. Lemery noticed health becoming more embedded into narratives at COP with more activism and attention in many different sectors devoted to health and health outcomes. Chakuri says she sees successful mobilization from the health community to act on climate change, but she still needs to draw the connection between climate change and health for some people. Quote, it's not just related, it's the only reason any of us should care about climate change, unquote, she says. Quote, nothing matters if you're not improving the health and well-being of people, preventing deaths and preventing disease and harm to human beings, unquote. Lemery says it is also easier to convince constituents to act when the issue is framed around people rather than if they talk about it in more abstract impacts like parts per million of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. Quote, they can taste the air pollution now where they used to not be able to, unquote, says Chikuri. Air pollution and heat are also of growing concerns for Colin Toom, a climate and health strategist at Boulder County. Quote, air pollution was the leading cause of death for our most vulnerable communities, including our historically and currently excluded communities, unquote, she says. 
Quote, we are very concerned about air pollution basically killing people and climate change making it worse, unquote. The American Lung Association gave Boulder County F, as in failure, grades for ozone and particulate pollution, stating, quote, if you live in Boulder County, the air you breathe may put your health at risk, unquote. The county is developing a vulnerability mapping tool that overlays climate projections with demographic vulnerability factors to serve health and climate needs in the area. Along with a public-facing component, Toom hopes the tool will be used to inform policy decisions both at the county and state levels. Toom says the tool should be finished by the end of the year. Even though COP27 is an important venue to network with the health community, Lemery is still focused on how the conference impacts his work at home. He hopes the climate and health program at CU can lead the movement addressing climate change and its effects on health. Quote, I think healthcare professionals have a very unique position to lead and influence from healthcare, unquote, he says. Quote, we are trusted messengers, and if we're not leaning in and affecting change, then I think we are missing a huge opportunity, unquote. Entertainment, music, words and music. Jupiter Ensemble gives voice to Vivaldi at CU Concert by Kelly Dean Hansen, March 16, 2023. <laughs> Antonio Vivaldi is the most familiar and unfamiliar of major composers. Classical music enthusiasts may know just a handful of his more than 500 concertos, including the ubiquitous Four Seasons, but the Italian Baroque composer is one of the easiest to identify through his stylistic formula. An all-Vivaldi program can therefore become monotonous, even if most of the program is unknown. For Thomas Dunford, lute virtuoso and founder of the Jupiter Ensemble, a sampling of the composer's much-neglected vocal output is one way to change things up. The ensemble started out with Vivaldi upon its 2018 debut, debut and an all-Vivaldi program will be featured throughout its current North American tour, including the group's front-range debut at Mackey Auditorium on March 22 as part of the CU Presents Artists series. Quote, I love when programs tell different things, unquote, Dunford says. Quote, I always like to learn from composers, unquote. With Vivaldi, the vocal ex excerpts give the audience some breathing space that an unbroken parade of concertos, even with a variety of featured instruments, cannot. Quote, it's like a tasting. If you balance duck liver with ice cream, you won't get overloaded, unquote. Jupiter's vocalist is French-Italian mezzo-soprano Lee DeSandra, a fixture with the group from its outset. Quote, Lee was our voice at the very beginning, and I tried to do as many programs with her as I can, unquote, Dunford says. Quote, we try to keep the same team together as much as we can so that the group can get together, gel together, and get all the right reflexes, unquote. DeSandra sings four arias from Vivaldi operas, two from his only surviving oratorio, 
Juditha Triumphans, and one from the sacred vocal composition Nisi Dominus. These are interspersed as slow-fast pairs between three concertos, two for Dunford's lute and one for Jupiter's cellist, Bruno Philippe. Dunford was raised in France, the son of two leading performers on the Baroque viola da gamba. He studied at the Paris Conservatoire and became, according to BBC Music Magazine, the, quote, Eric Clapton of the lute, unquote. The instrument is often part of the Baroque basso continuo group, which provides the bass line and fundamental harmonies below the melodic lines. It was while playing in such continuo groups that Dunford conceived the project that became Jupiter. Quote, After a while, I had the desire to explore some of the repertoire in a way I believed would sound closer to the spirit of what composers were doing at the time, considering how modern and expressive this music would have been to contemporary audiences, he says. The idea was to get the best people together in a musical environment where each performer knows the material so well that every moment of a performance seems like improvisation. Quote, I wanted a group of friends that could work deeply on the music for a powerful result, unquote, he says. Jupiter is one player per part, but Dunford is more concerned about musical expression than numbers. Besides, Dunford and DeSandra the group performing at Mackey includes two violinists, one violist, one cellist, one double bassist, and a keyboardist on harpsichord and organ. When it comes to the lute, Vivaldi wrote four solo works featuring the instrument. Dunford plays the most familiar, the D major concerto, along with the C major work that is more a trio sonata than a concerto proper. With Jupiter's small numbers, the adaptation as a concerto was uncomplicated, Dunford says. Quote, Vivaldi was writing for a small lute, probably tuned an octave higher than what I play, unquote, he says. When the ensemble plays together in the so-called tutti passages, the lute largely plays along with either the violin lines or the basso continuo part, but then breaks on its own for the solo passages. But ultimately, whether listeners feel unfamiliar or too familiar with the red-headed Italian at the center of the music, Dunford hopes Jupiter Ensemble's upcoming CU Boulder performance is an opportunity for concertgoers to connect through a common language. Quote, no matter how large or small the audience, it's all about shared emotions and experience. Unquote. Jupiter Ensemble with Lee DeSandra, 7.30 p.m., Wednesday, March 22, Mackey Auditorium, 1595 Pleasant Street, CU Boulder. Tickets are available at online at cupresents.org. Thank you for joining us for the Boulder Weekly. My name is Eric Levine. If you enjoyed this program, please register for our free services at www.aincolorado.org or by calling 303-786-7777.